Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, I'm here with the functional musician himself, Austin Pantsner. Nailed it this time. Um, I'm excited to sit down with Austin and talk about uh, his story, his uh, his brand, what he's doing with the functional uh, fitness and just wellness stuff in general. I think it's really important for all of us to hear um, how this can benefit our lives in the myriad of ways it can benefit our lives. Um, and also, it's very cool for me because he's been following the podcast for a long time. So uh, to for me to be interviewing someone who has followed the podcast and is now like, it's just kind of surreal for me. So I think on both of our sides, this is a pretty cool opportunity. So thank you for being here, Austin. I'm glad that you're with us. Ryan, it's my, an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Like you said, I've been listening to your podcast since, you know, the first couple of episodes, and it is just absolute gold. The amount of different people you have on the podcast and sharing different nuggets of wisdom has really benefited my life in a lot of positive and impactful ways. So, you know, thank you from my end just as a listener. Yeah, it is it's definitely my pleasure. So thank you for saying all those kind things. Uh, I think... Uh, for those that are listening, I, I've this is the first time I've ever met and talked to Austin, so I'm learning just along with you. So I think if we just started with the beginning, how you got into, um, you know, just what is your life story? Let's just let's just go. Let's just get into it. Sure. Well, I'll try to keep this as clear and concise as possible because <laughs> it is pretty long. <laughs> sure. I'm actually uh, I'm turning 30 here in a couple of weeks. Can't believe it. Happy uh, but basically birthday. my Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> September 8th is the date. Looking forward to it. Um, so a little bit about myself. Um, I've, I've been a trombone player. So I was a tenor trombone player up until about six years ago, and I now play bass trombone. And I got my education at Carthage College, a private Lutheran liberal arts college in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We call it Kenowhere because it's basically in the middle of nowhere. And then I went along to Indiana University, studied with Dee Stewart, and did a performance diploma, studied with Carl Lenthe, also switched to bass trombone. And then I'm actually, I just finished coursework at IU in trombone, and I'm finishing up my dissertation along with all the uh, other exams that we're required to take. So uh, I see the light at the end of the tunnel. So basically I've been in the collegiate academic setting for the past 12 years, um, haven't really taken any breaks. I'm more than happy to talk about that and the mental side effects of that going along the way. Um, but basically, throughout you know my collegiate career, at some point or another, I switched to bass trombone, and I entered this giant injury cycle that lasted about three years. And for me, as someone who was in a very highly competitive environment, like in the university where we had approximately um, fifty to you know sixty-five trombonists divided between three different studios, the competition was pretty high, sure. and. The skill level of the trombonist was was amazing. So uh, that injury held me back in a lot of different ways. And along the way, you know, these you know this three year injury cycle, you know, I injured myself basically four different times in different ways. Okay, so I'd love to just dive into that just a little bit to give a little background. But the first injury I had, I switched to bass trombone. I was starting a new performance degree, and a month into uh, this degree, I basically blew out my left forearm. You know, I didn't realize 
that the two pounds extra weight on my trombone was going to contribute that much. And it caught up with me all in once, all at once in the span of um, two or three weeks. And basically what was happening is um, I was in orchestra. I was in a jazz band. I was in a brass quintet. I was auditioning for other orchestras. I was preparing for recital and I was still doing a pretty extensive fundamental routine. And as you can imagine, all of those hours combined, you know, over the course of that month, uh, my forearm just wasn't built to handle that. And surprisingly enough, I injured my forearm before, you know, a chop injury happened because brass players yeah. aren't designed to play <laughs> eight to 10 hours a day. So, yeah, I was in the middle of the jazz band and all of a sudden, boom, a huge sharp pain radiated through my entire arm and I couldn't lift my bass trombone an inch off the ground without like almost screaming in the middle of the room. Wow. So I walked out and um, I just kind of gave the... Um, Brent Rollerab a little head nod and he was like, oh, something happened. Cool. We'll just do what you got to do. So it took me about six to eight months to get over that. You know, for those trombonists that are listening, I tried every ergonomic device out there to try to find some sort of short-term solution so I wouldn't have to take time away from my instrument and I wouldn't have to literally drop out of school because of this injury. And I settled with an ergobone. Um, and for those unfamiliar with that, it's basically like a bipod that you rest your trombone on on a chair. So basically it holds up the trombone for you so you can move your slide arm and you can basically just control the balance of where the horn is. So, I mean, that was a solution that, you know, I was on that ergobone for six to eight months. And for me, that was embarrassing because um, I couldn't hold my trombone up. I couldn't perform like my other colleagues. I was in orchestra, I was in jazz band, I was in my brass quintet, and I was like, wait, hold on, I got to put my bipod up. You know, it was, uh, it was a little embarrassing in that sense. But as soon as I, as I, I was excuse me, words, as soon as, as, as I was able to rehabilitate, uh, I started ramping up my practicing again. And I came at it from a very intelligent way. I was like, okay, I'll just start really, really slow, ramp it up, ramp it up, ramp it up. But I quickly learned that grad school, the more obligations you take on, uh, the more they build and the more you have to balance your life. And I quickly found that uh, those habits would catch up with me three months into my re or three months coming back from my rehabilitation. I injured myself again. And this time instead of my forearm, it went up my shoulder. So it was my left shoulder. And then about four months after that, it was my right shoulder. And then I started developing knots under my scapula that were the size of golf balls. And I, and I went to massage therapists. I went to doctors. I went to chiropractors pretty regularly. And the massage therapists were like, I've never seen knots this big. You I, I need to see you regularly for, you know, three days a week for the, you know, at least two months. And, you know, as a student, as a graduate student who's already paying a lot of money into his education and into living expenses and all of this, um, I couldn't afford that. You know, especially with the massage therapist that specialized in exactly what I was going through, it was probably about $100 for like 45 minutes. You know, so over the course, you know, of a month, you know, that's about $900 over the course of three months. That's, you know, $2,700 wow. um, that I would just have to pull out, you know, you know, out of nowhere. So, you know, I was very stubborn. That's kind of my personality. I'm learning how to deal with it. But um, I, you know, I didn't want to go that route. So I wanted to figure it out myself. And so basically what happened is I got so fed up with these injuries. I was actually looking like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Um, you know, all of my colleagues that were, um, I don't want to say like behind me, but people who needed a lot of improvement were seeing a lot of improvement. They were improving exponentially and I saw my growth and it. it was just like a steady line that went up and down and up and down because of this injury that was holding me back both mentally and physically. So um, it was very demeaning and very 
uh, demoralizing in a lot of different ways. So I was looking at other career options and something that I've always been passionate is, is, is health and wellness. So I started researching um, all of the master's degree, all the master's degree degrees um, at the School of Public Health at IU. I was just going to switch degrees altogether or look to do it in conjunction with my performance diploma. And I actually found that it was about 80 hours worth of work and a week and that they would want me to quit the music school because you simply cannot do both. So I was looking for other options. Um, so I looked to personal training. So I found a lot of different certifications that would kind of give me a background on what was going on, as well as some concepts that I could start applying to myself as a guinea pig just to see if I could scrape by. And a couple of certifications later, about two years into my injury cycle, I started applying these concepts to my own body. And I started seeing results. I started seeing benefits. I started seeing positive gain. I could hold up my trombone for longer periods of time. My posture was very well improved. Uh, my regular habits day to day were supporting now what I wanted to do. So it wasn't until about the third year, at the end of the third year that I got over my injury. And it was right before my first doctoral recital. It was about a week before. And I just injured myself. I mean, I was doing all the right things. I was running through my recital. I was stretching. I was taking care of my body. Um, but those habits, the, my foundation of my body simply caught up with, up to me. It didn't matter how many great habits I had in line. Basically, all those habits caught up to me. And a week before recital, I, those scapula um, golf ball knots expanded. And then now I could lo no longer take a breath to my full capacity. So for me, as a bass trombonist, air is like one of the most important fundamental things we can have. And when I would take that full breath, that last 20% where you get that, you know, that natural pushback from your chest, that mm -hmm. decompression, uh, it was like a stabbing pain in my back. <laughs> and I actually, good. no, it's not good at all. So like anytime I went to play long tones or a scale or ellipse or even just play anything above a mezzo forte, it was just excruciating pain. And that transferred into my recital. And that recital did not go as well as I wanted. And the funny thing is, that was probably the recital that I was most prepared for in my entire life. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I was hindered and the fact that all these habits caught up with me, um, you know, hindered me in a lot of ways. So, you know, at that point, it was, it was about probably like two and a half year mark. I was like, you know what? Okay, so let's really, really focus on this. And I took, I took about a month, two months away from the trombone. I started rebuilding my foundation from these concepts from these certifications that I had. And then five months later, I was actually able to have three to four hour practice days without feeling this tension or pain. So essentially what happened is not only did I take time away from my instrument, not to re technically rebuild my trombone fundamentals or foundation, but to rebuild my body foundation. And it was from that rebuilding and discovering of what my weaknesses were that I was able to come out of that injury um, and actually recover from this detrimental cycle. And that's kind of how the functional musician was born. You know, it wasn't until about six months after I thought I got over this injury that I realized I had something special when I started seeing other people at IU experiencing the same thing. Um, just a little background on that. Back in 2017, my first year as a doctoral student, I was the orchestra manager assistant at IU. So I was the orchestra manager to Tom Ligman, who oversees all of the major orchestra ensembles and opera productions at IU. So I worked closely with him and I also took attendance for all of the concerts and all of the rehearsals as well as the opera performances. And there were a lot of students, depending on what repertoire we doing, whether it was Mahler, whether it was Tchaikovsky, whether it was a three hour long opera, 
that would often miss rehearsals. And in some rare cases, there were a lot of concerts too that students backed out the last minute because of an injury. So that was always in the back of my mind, like, wow, this is a problem. You know, it's not just me that's struggling with this. This is a pretty common thing. Um, and that led me to research performance-related injuries. If you go on PubMed and just research musician performance-related injuries, you're literally going to get thousands and thousands of articles um, and rabbit holes that you can go down to really learn about this. But basically, uh, to summarize what I found is that this is a common thing not only for college musicians, but professional musicians as well. The older we get, the more prone to performance-related injuries we are, Uh, based upon our habits. And there are actually more studies being done for students below the age of 18 in middle school and high school. And they're finding that they have a similar range of percentages relating to performance-related injury as well. So performance-related injury is not biased of age. You know, it happens in all ages. And it is a problem in the musical world that needs to be addressed and needs to, excuse me, be actively talked about. So anyway, got sidetracked for a second, but going back to the functional musician, um, six months after I got over my injury, I started seeing like these little signs like, okay, like you're doing good things. I've been preventing flare-ups, flare-ups that would happen during my injuries. For example, um, if you slept on your shoulder wrong, your shoulder would be tweaked for the next week. Mm -hmm. Well, the concepts that I applied in my life, I was able to turn that week of a flare-up down to 45 minutes. So if I woke up with a wonky shoulder and I'm like, holy cow, this is going to ruin a week of practice, I was able to adjust. I was able to throw in some certain exercises and certain concepts that would put that back on the right track. And I was able to focus back on my goals and my progress. So fast forward to a year, I had my second doctoral recital and I was actually able to get through that entire recital without tension or pain. And I was like, I have something. This is Mm -hmm. something special. Other musicians need it. And So I started working with Project Jumpstart, which is, uh, they call it the career office at Indiana University. It pairs with Jacobs. And this is a free resources for students. They can go there. They can get mentored. They can take business classes or entrepreneurship classes. It's a fantastic office that is free for students that every Jacobs School of Music student should take advantage of. But they basically mentored me and planted the seed to kind of help me sprout my business into what it is today. And fast forward another year, I got to my second recital, and it was actually the most successful recital I had. Granted, there are still some things that I'm working on, of course, but from a physical and foundational standpoint um, and mental mindset standpoint, like it was the best recital I've ever given. So, um, you know, a couple uh, last semester before COVID happened, there was a... um, what do they call it? An innovation competition that happens every year at the Jacobs School of Music that collaborates with the Project Jumpstart office. And the functional musician happened to be chosen the winner. And that funding gave me the financial backing to launch this business into what it is today. So the whole idea is that the functional musician helps classical musicians holistically perform without pain. And I'm more than happy to go into the depths of this, but I approached my injury prevention not from a one-sided prong. I approached this from a circle of a lot of different health and wellness habits that were affecting my life in different ways. So, for example, being in the collegiate setting for 12 years, um, you know, I felt like I didn't get good at school until this last year. And that's because I kept burning out and burning out and burning out because I didn't have habits set in place. So that goes in with mindset. This three-year injury cycle 
was my body being completely destroyed by years and years and years and years of bad habits. That goes with body awareness and strengthening my body into alignment. And last but not least, you know, I am that person that sacrificed sleep for practice time. I am that person that sacrificed sleep to study, to listen to scores, to listen to world-class performances or world-class musicians when they came out with a new album. And the lack of sleep or lack of foundational health and wellness habits, sleep just being one of them, greatly affected the progress that I had during that injury cycle and throughout my collegiate career. So approaching our injury or our health and wellness from this circle of holistic, um, holistic, like a holistic concept, a holistic way, um, you know, helped me not only get over my injury, but helped me keep it away for good. So, you know, fast forward to today, man, it's been two, a little over two and a half years since I've really been debilitated by my body. And of course, I'm still learning ways to deal with things that come back. But, um, you know, just like with trauma, just like with playing an instrument or being a brass player, you know, as you get more skilled, as you develop your instrument more and more, uh, the less bad days there are. That's how I feel it is with my body and my mindset. And the more you learn, obviously, the more you apply and the more you experiment with to find what works for you. Um, but that's basically how I got here today. And, you know, looking forward, you know, the music, the function musician has already had a lot of positive impact. But, you know, looking at the bigger picture of new music, musician health and wellness in the collegiate setting and the professional setting, like, we still have a long way to go. So, you know, my goal is I can provide some inspiration to people who want to do this and also open up the door for conversations that I think need to happen. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, sorry. That, I know that was long. <laughs> I said I would keep it clear and no, concise. No, it's, it's great, man. It's great. I There's a lot of thoughts and I forgot most of them, but one of them that I remembered is I have had an experience in my life. Uh, this is specific to Whole30, right? And I think that this point I'll make will hopefully give you sort of a jumping point of sort of how to respond to it. But basically, I was resistant to Whole30 for a few reasons. One, I had convinced myself that as someone who lifts heavy weights, I need carbohydrates to be able to do that. Like, it's not possible. I had just limited myself. And that I had said to like, I had decided that lifting heavy weight was the ultimate thing that mattered, not necessarily like what's my relationship with lifting in general and like how, what are the myriad of ways it could benefit me? It was just like lifting heavy weight. So finally I decided with the help of my beautiful and wonderful and very patient wife, Kathleen, to <laughs> try Whole30. And I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. I don't think it's like what we should do for forever. And they even say this is like a 30 day thing, right? But I was shocked with how good I felt. And the reason I think I felt so good was because I finally like was putting good things into my body on a regular basis and I had energy and all this kind of stuff. And what it taught me, the biggest thing it taught me, and this is what I would like you to uh, sort of respond to, is that I just didn't know there was another level of feeling good. I assumed that where I was was where I was and I was willing to accept. I even thought days that I felt bad were just like how it was. I didn't recognize that there would be this ne next level of doing it. And so if I never would have been open to this other opportunity, in this particular case, Whole30, but we can just extrapolate that to any health and wellness thing ever, 
just this idea that the first step it takes is just being open to the idea that a maybe there's another level of uh, of I am stronger or I'm more flexible, I'm more mobile, or I feel healthier or whatever. And B, it just takes being open to that possibility to actually find it. Does that make sense, what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, 100%. If you're not willing to get outside of your comfort zone, if you're not willing to take that first step to making a change or be open to new ideas, it's going to be exponentially harder for you to adapt and grow and get over whatever problem you're facing, whether it's health and wellness on your instrument or whether you're trying to grow as a person, husband or wife, et cetera, et cetera. So... You know, I just have a couple of thoughts on that. I, it's, for me, it's like this huge can of worms. Like there are so many different thoughts that I could talk about, but I just wanna, I, I'm really glad you touched upon the point that Whole30 is not sustainable, but it is an effective method to do short term. And I think it's really, really important that we just recognize that carbs are the energy source that our body needs uh, to survive, to well, make energy. Also, so in this case, you can also eat carbs, right? You can eat potatoes and there's like a few other sources where you can get some carbohydrates. So it's not necessarily saying carbs are evil. I just told myself like, oh, I need like pasta and I have to eat bread. Like who, you know, I, I was living in uh, an old understanding of how my body worked and just wasn't willing to say maybe, hypothetically, I should try this new thing because something good might come of it. I think that's more, I mean, yes, it's it's worth it's worthy of talking about. But yeah, for me, that was the important part. Like being open to saying, maybe I'm not my final form right now. And maybe this thing that I'm sort of turned off to <laughs> could be the thing that gets me closer to that. Yeah, totally. Thanks for the clarification. Yeah, I, I like that you use that transform yourself or get to that next level. Makes me think of Dragon Ball Z because I had that background yeah. as a kid. But, um, you know, if we do want to level up, you know, you, you, they say you are what you eat and it's totally true. But I think a more accurate statement is you are what you consistently eat. Mm -hmm. So for example, you can consist, if you eat consistent, um, highly processed foods, if you eat consistent greasy foods or foods that are saturated with fat or high amounts of sodium, um, that can really make your body feel great. And if you continue to go along that path, you can actually desensitize your body's awareness to be able to recognize how you feel and it accepts it as the new norm. Mm -hmm. Just like if you were to go to a friend's house who has five cats, you know, I've never been to a house that has five cats that doesn't smell a little bit like cat pee. And, you know, <laughs> I went to a friend's house, you know, before COVID happened and I was like, hey man, um, what's that smell? And he's like, oh, I don't smell anything. I'm like, it smells a little bit like cat urine. And he's like, oh, really? I guess I just haven't noticed. Yeah. And that's a perfect example of desensitizing the nose our or one of our senses that we have. So, you know, extreme example, but the same can be applied to our nutrition. And it's not until you, you know, consistently try new things. You know, for example, 30 days. It took 30 days for you to realize where you were at. 30 days to make a physical and mental change in your awareness of how you felt on a day-to-day -day basis. And it was also a 30-day change for how these, or a 30-day change to open up your senses to how these foods would make you feel. So for example, when I say you are what you consistently eat, if you're consistent, if you're, it's like a baseball batting percentage. The higher your, the higher your batting percentage is for nutritious whole foods that really uh, give your body clean energy, when you go to eat those cheat meals or those meals where it's a pizza or a nice big old fat cheeseburger with bacon and barbecue sauce, you can eat that and you may feel bad for about 30 minutes, but because you consistently eat um, 
and your nutrition at like a really, really high level, your body is still going to be able to live at that really high level. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And so I, I use that example to sort of take it outside of the the music at, or the, yeah, outside of the music, putting it back in to paint this picture. I think we just accept injuries as what it is. Like that's like part of it. We might get injured. It might be this way. And like when you are injured or you're dealing with a chronic injury, you're just like, well, that's like what it is, you know? And Kathleen wanted to do Whole30 because she had chronic, I don't know if it was like tendonitis in her forearms, but the, you know, she plays clarinet. So that repetitive motion for hours and hours Mm -hmm. and hours a day, she just had pain in her, uh, in her wrists, especially in her wrists, but just in her forearms. And so she did Whole30 and like basically the whole idea is it reduces inflammation and all that kind of stuff. That's one of the things. But then also she started doing Pilates and just in general, like taking care of herself a little bit more. And like, she still has a little tiny bit of it, right? But it's significantly better. And what she learned was like, oh, that didn't have to be normal. And so if people are living with injuries, it's not like, well, this is my new normal. It's like something is not right. Something is not lined and uh, and in balance. And it might not, the fix might not be get a uh, stand for your trombone, you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. The stand, the you fix know- might be like, figure out like how to get stronger or maybe there's like a muscular imbalance or maybe you're not flexible, whatever it might be, but there's like a holistic way of improving something rather than just like finding a crutch, so to speak. Totally thing. Totally. And it's not even the the fact that, you know, we're feeling tension or pain, but it, it all stems from, you know, what is trying to find what's going on and asking the question why. And oftentimes when we're looking for that source, even just plugging in Um, and experimenting a little bit with your habits or what's going on, you can actually solve a lot of problems. You know, like, let's just relate it to being a brass player, you know? Like, if you're one of those, you know, college musicians or professional musicians who eats a lot of highly processed or salty foods. So let's say you eat, like, a heavy pasta dish before you go to your practice session. Well, chances are that pasta dish, depending on if you cooked it or if you got takeout or if you're using it out of a can, uh, contains a lot of salt. And if you go to a practice session, we all know salt is going to dry out our amateur, but it also makes our amateur react in a different way. You know, the same thing can be applied to hydration. You know, if you have, if you're hydrated, your chops are going to react a lot more differently than the, if they are dehydrated. And chances are, if you're getting 30 minutes through a practice session and your lips are already starting to become inflamed and you live a normal, healthy lifestyle, um, there's a good chance you might be dehydrated just not drinking enough water. It could be that simple little thing that's holding you back. And, you know, it's when you start pushing through that pain or just pushing through those changes that it can really become dangerous down the road because you're starting to veer towards the other direction of, of not healthy, of non-sustainable habits, non-sustainable growth. Surely you're not suggesting, though, that, like, we have to orient everything around our practice session in that way, right? Like, we can't ever eat a pasta dish before because we're afraid that our practice is going to go sideways. You're, I assume you're not advocating that either. Um, ask that again. Can you ask that again? Well, you were saying with pasta and there's a lot of sodium, and so it might affect the way our chops respond. So, like that. So that then that makes me think. Not that you're saying this, but you could go to an extreme version that's basically like now I can't ever eat pasta before I would like. You know what I mean? Before I'd practice. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that, you know, let me ask you a question then. You know, if you're trying to be the best trumpet trumpeter you can, if you're trying to improve and you have this goal of where you want to be, you know, if we're just tweaking that five, 10%, you know, if we're a sprinter, 
we're just trying to get that 0.009th off of our time. You know, depending on where you're at in your trumpeting, you want to improve as much as possible. Wouldn't watching what you eat before a practice session be worth it if you were able to improve 10% over 10% more over the next year? Yeah, I was sort of playing devil's advocate, but I actually totally agree with you, right? It's, I think this is a bit what it means when you say I'm, I, I'll do anything, right? It's a bit like, like I'm going to try as hard as I possibly can. Oftentimes we just think that that means I'm just going to practice for more hours than somebody else. But I kind of think it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to spend more hours in the practice room, but rather try to really figure out how does my body work? What are the conditions that I get my best practice sessions in and try to figure that out so I can set myself up to have, and we're talking physically, but also mentally, what kind of space do I need to be in mentally to get the most out of my practice? Because if you spend three hours practicing and you're like angry at something or somebody, that's going to be, in my opinion, less productive than 30 minutes where you're in a growth mindset, ready to go, ready to dig and all those kinds of things. So I actually completely agree. It's just part of figuring <laughs> out. I, like I said, I was just playing devil's advocate a little bit, though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you look at Olympic athletes, it's the same thing, too. Everybody has the same amount of time to prepare and the same amount of time to train. So it all comes down to it's not what you do. It's how you do it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, so thank you for playing devil's advocate. I love it when people challenge those different ideas. Um, So keep at it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to get a full picture for anybody out there who might have you know, might think that kind of thing, right? It's it's like, we don't have to be extreme about this, but Mm -hmm. like, if you're at a point where you're unsure of why things are not progressing, it might be something outside of your instrument. And it might be something as simple as, tweaking, you know, starting to pay attention to like what you eat, how much water you're drinking, like you said, because if those if those variables are different, maybe our practice is different and it's worth really thinking outside the box in those ways, I think. Yeah, sure. And going back just to, you know, if you are feeling angry or frustrated in a practice session, you know, my first question would be is like, did you do anything before your practice session to calm your mind or switch your focus or switch your intent? Did you set intent for your practice session? And, you know, those simple things just take one to two minutes, but, you know, can make all the difference between a productive set practice session or a frustrating practice session. Totally. I had a, a student of mine who was saying that uh, they just, they worked all day at a, at a day job. And then when they came home, they were still in that day job mentality. And I was asking, what are you doing to help yourself come back down so that you're not just jumping into a practice session and feeling the stress of your job in your practice session. And we kind of talked through what that looks like. And it doesn't have to take much more than 15 or 20 minutes if you're really in, do it with intent, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100% agree. So I, I kind of want to touch on, I think there's a misconception that A, like fitness-related stuff, especially like what I do, right, with powerlifting, that it's dangerous or like as a musician, our hands, like I can't, I got to be really careful of my hands or my wrists and things like that. But as you and I well know, using your hands and your wrist in exercise, like strengthens it, right? It's actually like going to help that, those problems. Uh, can you speak to experiences you've had that has shown that to be true? Maybe people you've worked with or your own experiences, just this kind of thing in general that we shouldn't necessarily shy away from the things that we think are going to hurt us. Rather, we should look to use that as a way to strengthen um, our bodies in general, but especially that it can help our overall posture and and like our joint health and that kind of stuff that will give us longevity as as musicians. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, when I talk about musician health and wellness, um, I've developed these four pillars that I, I approach this from. So just to give you a little bit of background, foundational health and wellness habits is number one. Number two is developing body awareness. Number three is strengthening the body into alignment. And number four is mindset and mindfulness. So this really comes down to number three, strengthening our body into alignment. And it also goes down to, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. So you can approach any type of physical fitness-related activity, but if you're approaching it from um, a destructive way or um, an unsustainable way, it's going to be destructive, not only in your performance, but in your everyday life. Now, for example, like if, you, if you're new to exercising and you go try to power lift 400 pounds, it's probably not going to go the way you want and you're probably going to end up tweaking something in your body or injuring yourself in some type of fashion. But if you systematically build up, if you're focusing on good form, if you're focusing on great habits and you are learning from someone who is experienced and someone who can show you your blind spots, because we don't always see what's going on on the outside when we're focusing on a specific activity, um, the benefits are huge. So for example, for me, um, the thing that I, when I was strengthening my body back into alignment, the thing that I noticed was just the ability to be upright throughout the entire day. That was the first thing I noticed. And then from a wrist strengthening standpoint, excuse me, I actually found more control or found that I would get more control, more stability, and more flexibility of my wrist going from first to sixth and seventh position. And I not only could do that faster, but I could do that more accurately and with more control. And, well, accurate and more control are basically the same thing. But you know what I'm saying. Sure, so yeah. Um, I have a, yeah, I had a couple of clients um, who were violists and pianists. And they found that even after three weeks of working with me of doing these strength training exercises, they found that they had more control over their posture, they had more stability over their posture, and they actually saw an increase in the amount of flexibility in their hand and coordination in their fingers. So, you know, it just comes down to if you're working a muscle repetitively over a long period of time, you're actually somewhat breaking down that muscle. You're not working on strengthening the muscle when you're playing clarinet or playing trumpet. So it's really important that we work on it away from the instrument so that it can support what you're doing over the long term. So a lot of the times um, there will be violinists that go to physical therapists or will see specialists and they find that after years and years and years of testing, it turns out that their chronic stress and tension wasn't caused by you know, um, you know, deep carpal tunnel, it was just a lack of muscle endurance, a lack of developed muscle. Some of them didn't even have muscle in their shoulders to support holding up the instrument. So guess what happens? Guess what takes that load? The joints and the bone. And when the joints and the bones start taking that load over the long term, over the long term, it just degrades that joint. And that's, of course, going to be painful, and it's, of course, going to cause a lot of pain. And down the road, it's going to cause you to have surgery, which is super, super expensive, cause you to take time away from your instrument. And um, ultimately, it's going to stunt your growth in one way or another, depending on what point of your career you are at. Yeah, I find this to be, we're talking about preventative versus corrective, right? Like it's just Preventative versus corrective or yeah. co preventative versus rehabilitative. Yeah, and basically, I think people in their mind have no problem with the concept that I will go to a massage therapist once a week or I will go to a chiropractor once a week or something like that. And it costs whatever hundred of dollars to do like you were describing. Right. But the idea of spending, you know, $80 a month to go to a gym 
uh, for a, like a gym that's going to have everything we need or to, you know, to whatever, to invest in a home gym or whatever it is. Like, we'll balk at that. But then we, as a culture, totally say, oh, yeah, like a chiropractor. And you're basically, I kind of think you're going to spend money on one or the other. And yes, one is going to exactly. be like very reactive, like my body hurts and I'm in pain, fix it. And the other is going to be, I'm strengthening my body. I feel great. A hundred percent. And that goes along the line, too, of a Band-Aid solution versus a long-term solution. You know, going to the massage therapist one time and you start to feel better. Well, guess what? Three days later, all of those pains that you just felt are going to come back. You know, so you're going to keep going back to the massage therapist. And that adds up over time. Same thing with the chiropractor. Like, you feel great after adjustment. And I'm not saying don't go see a chiropractor because it has its benefits. But you got to recognize that if you think that's going to be your one-time solution after you've already been injured, um, it's going to be a rude rake-up call, for sure. Sure. Because once you're in that injury cycle, it's just, it's very, 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 very hard to get out. There was a reason they call it a cycle. (laughs) Sure. I there's a, a a few there's a group of doctors who have formed a brand called Barbell Medicine. I'm sure you're very familiar with them. If you're not, they're amazing, and they're sort of trying to trying to be. They're they're also powerlifters. They've competed and stuff, and they're trying to promote this message that like a lot of times when people come in to see the doctor and they're having all sorts of problems, it's like they could give them like medicine. But like, instead of that, they just get them on like a strength and conditioning, some sort of routine or something like that. And that ultimately, like you said, long-term solves their problem instead of a short-term sort of Band-Aid. And, you know, the human body is an amazing thing and it can respond and adapt to so many different stimulus that we can really almost do anything. We will have a genetic limitation, but most of us are not concerned with getting to an elite level of something. We're just trying to say, how can this benefit my life with your clients that you've had, what kind of growth have you seen? What you don't have to name names, obviously, but maybe where they started, what they were struggling with, and then maybe what kind of work and then where you ended up with them and kind of what they've experienced. I'd be very curious kind of what the work is like for you. Yeah, sure. I'm really glad you asked that question. So um, just a little caveat. So when I get a client, um, Everybody's different. Everybody has, everybody is on a different journey in their life and they're at a different point in their trajectory. So it's up, it's up to me to figure out where that is and meet them there so I can guide them towards their destination, which usually the goal is I want to be able to perform without pain in 12 weeks. So for example, I had a client that um, has scoliosis. I also struggle with scoliosis myself. But basically what would happen is every couple of weeks, um, he being a bass trombonist, he would... Um, he would have flare-ups that would uh, basically debilitate him in ways where he would not be able to practice for a couple of days because he'd have to put it away and the pain was too great. And I am, he is on his eighth week now. And actually last week he texted me and he was like, hey man, like um, I helped my dad move out. We were lifting, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of stuff. And I also was in a minor mountain biking accident. And I'm like, holy cow, well, that's a, that's a very fun day. But he was basically like, you know, over the course of the eight weeks, you know, my body awareness has developed so much, I was able to roll in a way that was very safe to my body, so I actually didn't injure myself. And number two, when he was lifting, after he was done, he was like, oh my gosh, Like I feel a flare-up coming up in my lower back. And I have him on a mobility or a couple of mobility routines, and he's like, I just did one of my mobility routines trying to really um, focus on that point that was about to flare up, and I actually prevented it from happening altogether. 
And that goes exactly to what I was experienced too, where I'd have these flare-ups and rather than have it debilitate you for a week or two weeks, he was able to just spend 10, 15 minutes and save the next week or two from that debilitating pain cycle from coming back. So that's a, that was a huge win for him. And once you have that tool and once you develop that mindset of being able to recognize these flare-ups and prevent them, um, you know, when you have these tweaks throughout your life, you can, you know what to do. You know, yeah. you don't have to worry about that. So for me, as a, you know, as a trainer and as a coach, that was probably the biggest win for him that I've seen so far in the program was just that ability to not only recognize the flare-up before it happened, but to prevent it altogether. So you've described you and you described that particular client that they were you were having flare-ups and then you decided to go get help. How do you can uh, this is how it often happens, right? Like something happens and then we're like we need to fix this. How do you, what kind of things do you say to someone who's not having problems that it's like not that you don't even know if they will, but it is worth their time to to dig in sure. and try to figure this yeah. out even if they're not already having problems. Yeah, sure. So I guess it really depends on like where you want to be in your career. Like you got to know where you're going if if you want to if you want to get there. So if you want to be like a full-time orchestral musician or international soloist or chamber musician, chances are you're going to be practicing and performing your instrument anywhere from 2 to 4 hours on average 5 days a week for the next 30, 40 years of your life depending on how much you want to perform. So with that said, that is a lot of stress to the body. That's a lot of stress to the body. And my first question would be, number one, are you physically active? Number two, um, you know, are you, do you feel like you're a healthy human being? You know, there's this huge stigma in the fitness realm that if you look healthy, you are healthy. And yeah. that's not necessarily the case. And as a matter of fact, it's usually the opposite. Usually they got that body through years and years of counterproductive training, supplements, um, starvation, and, um, you know, unhealthy diets to get them there. And that always doesn't feel, that doesn't make the body feel very great. So you can feel, um, you don't, you can look healthy, but it doesn't necessarily mean you are healthy. So if you're someone that doesn't experience tension or pain, um, the key is to set habits in place so that never happens again. And the good thing about being not injured is that doesn't take, that doesn't take a lot, but it does take time and investment uh, in your life to put those habits into place. You know, just like with our instrument, you put you put money into the bank, so you get an investment down the road. So you're putting your fundamental work at the beginning, so down the road you can withdraw interest from the bank, so you don't have to be focusing on creating a good articulation for 45 minutes in the morning. You can just touch on it, and you're like, boom, it's there. I'm ready to do my job. Same thing applies to our fitness and our health and well-being. So, um, Ryan, I'm going to be honest. I just lost my train of thought. Can you redirect me here? Yeah, I just have another question. So. I think it just boils down to why why should health and wellness be something we care about, right? It's not like oftentimes it's very results oriented. Like I feel bad, I want to feel better. Or for me, I want to get stronger or something along those lines, right? But I think right. I'm coming to the to the idea and to the conclusion that the practice of doing it and the pre and seeing yourself improving is a an investment in yourself like you can grow you can get better and then b that this idea that like we're not a completed work and just the the practice of doing it can bring us joy and and doing something awesome and great with our bodies i think so it's more about the process and of showing up and doing it than it is i mean you will see the results the results will come 
but that's like the results don't justify it. The work itself justifies doing it. Gotcha. Fantastic. So I got a couple of points to add on top of that. So mm-hmm. the first thing that I think about is, you know, as musicians, like we, our whole life is revolved around music. And if you love music, that is fantastic. But with any type of growth and any type of skill, you know, being able to step away and let your mind refresh and process the things that you practice and the things you experience actually help us grow even more. And a lot of us don't let that happen. So having some type of exercise or fitness, health and wellness medium where you can step away from the music and apply your growth into another facet or another idiom or another genre of outside of music, that's going to translate over to your music as well. I mean, they're symbiotic in the sense that like your growth as a musician and developing a skill is going to transfer over to fitness and your mental breaks. And you're also developing energy if you exercise translates over to being a musician as well. So, you know, balance is one of those things, but also, you know, having that growth mindset, I think you touched upon it and you basically described a growth mindset without saying growth mindset in the sense that we're always looking for growth. We're not completed and we can find different ways that are very fulfilling for us as humans to grow in a very healthy and sustainable way. Yeah, I mean... One of the things I think a lot of people, especially musicians, struggle with is compare issues of comparison, right? Like I see somebody else doing better than I am and I feel bad about myself. And the way I think one of the most effective ways to combat that is to find ways where you can compete with yourself. So now your version to your defini- definitions of success aren't 100% in the hands of somebody else failing or succeeding. And for me, fitness and wellness, whatever it is that you choose, is something that you can compete in compete against yourself in super easily because everything is so clear. I ran a mile this fast. And then next time I do it, if I run it this fast, that's improvement. It's so music is not quite so obvious at times, but something like fitness is like, or I deadlifted 405 pounds today. Then I did 415 next time. Right. You can see the progress and all of a sudden it's Mm -hmm. like, wow, I'm getting better. I see myself getting better. Maybe I don't have to let other people determine if I'm doing okay. And so I yeah, think that's totally. One, yeah. And that also comes down to a little bit of imposter syndrome there and comparative syndrome with the mindset going to that fourth mm-hmm. pillar, just, you know, comparing yourself to other people in your growth. You're ultimately, what you're ultimately not doing is comparing yourself to where you want to be or the person you want to be or the human you want to be. So I think it's really important to recognize that this health and wellness, yes, it does benefit, uh, you know, our our instrument and our ability to perform, but it also makes us better human beings in a lot of different ways that we may not recognize right away. You know, exercising and being able to deadlift, you're going to feel a lot more open to different ideas after you do that. You may feel a little bit accomplished. You may feel that joy and passion that maybe you haven't felt in a very long time, especially now that, you know, COVID has happened, um, you know, and performances have basically halted, you know. Um, Mental well-being during this time is, you know, very, very important. Yeah. And I think so. to, I think also to a great extent, the more things we have in our life that we care about and that we're trying to grow in outside of the instrument, maybe I have a bad practice day, but if I go out and I have a good workout or I feel good about that, it's like, all right, well, I had, you know, I struggled over here, but I did have one great win while I was working out or something like that. It's sort of a way to realize that we are multidimensional, multifaceted beings that aren't just like the only thing I can do that matters is the trumpet, but rather, you know what? I can also just invest in myself in other ways and that's totally fine. 
A hundred percent. And oftentimes when you step away from your instrument, you're like, oh, I struggled at that earlier. You're not, your mind's not processing what ha- or why it happened or how it happened. It's like, oh my gosh, this happened. Like X, Y, Z, I'm so frustrated. But when you're working out, you may just be like focusing on your breathing, focusing on your form and lifting. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's like, oh, you know, like um, I forgot to practice with the metronome in this spot. And then I rushed or, you know, this is what happened. And this is why that practice session didn't go well. So in a way it gives your mind also a chance to just process things and things can come to you um, in weird and interesting ways. (laughs) Yeah. One way I like to think about it for that I've, that it really resonates with me is I think common philosophy is rather than comparing yourself to other people, just to compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Right. And one thing I like to think is to shift. It's the same concept, but you shift it a little bit to say, what am I going to do today that's going to help me out tomorrow? Just so it's yeah. like in a positive light of what action can I take today? So tomorrow I'm in a closer to the place that I want to be. So you're not so much like I'll never get there because it's so far away, but rather, you know what? If I generally want to lose weight, what am I going to do today that's going to make it so tomorrow I have a better chance of continuing to do that or whatever things you want to apply it to? And it sounds like that kind of fits this conversation. Oh, 100%. I love that concept. And that's actually something I teach to my clients as well. Yeah. Because we can have those bad days where we don't feel like doing anything. But if you just switch that focus and you're like, oh, if I spend 10 minutes focusing on, you know, what's going to make my day better tomorrow, you know, you're going to stretch before you go to bed. And then when you wake up, you maybe you won't feel as tight in your shoulders and your back and your lower back. Or maybe you don't sleep on the side of your shoulder and feel that for a couple of days. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So obviously someone like you and me, we have had a discipline of, uh, you know, some sort of exercise and, and wellness and in our practices for a while. But for someone who's out there, that's like, man, Austin has absolutely convinced me that I got to figure out something to do. I got to get started. What's, what's something basic that you would recommend, whether it's like a resource that they can find or just like a basic way that we can start taking little tiny steps towards having this be more a part of our lives? Sure. Well, I guess my first thing is I'm very goal-oriented, and I think it's really, really important that when we approach this, we approach this from the sense like, well, like, where do I want to be in five or five to ten years? You know, and if that scares the crap out of you, you can simplify it a little bit. Where do I want to be in one to three years? You know, where do I want to be a year from now with my health and wellness? And that can kind of dictate where where you're going to go, because if you don't know where you're going to go, you're not going to get there. You know, you could be going through a whole entire forest, um, like in the first Pokemon game. But if you don't know that you want to go to the end, you're just going to be wandering around for hours and hours fighting Pokemon. You're not going to get out of that forest. So, <laughs> so with that said, awesome. like, yeah, with the, with these with um, this health and wellness, knowing where you want to go, I think is step one. Step two, you know, you look, you know, I talk about these four pillars like all the time in my Instagram content and the content I regularly put out there. So I would actually go along those habits and start just making a mental checklist on what you have implemented in your life. And whenever we're developing a habit, you know, um, one beef I have with modern exercise programs is one, they're all, most of them are aesthetic based, but number two, they throw a huge, complicated, systematic program at your face and they expect you to do every little thing right away. And I think the important thing here is that if you're trying to build habits over the long term, building one habit at a time and making sure that habit is really, really set in place and mastered goes a long way and is going to be a lot more sustainable than jumping into a full-fledged program um, 
right off the bat. So with that said, you know, looking at these four pillars, you know, if you're someone who regularly struggles with mindset, regularly struggles with imposter syndrome, or regularly feels down and takes it personally after a practice session doesn't go well, which bad days, of course, happen. Um, but that is something you're going to want to look into. And there's a ton of resources available on the function, thefunctionalmusician.com. I have 10 mindfulness resources on one of my blog posts that's available for that. So if you're someone who struggles with body awareness, you know, there are loads of things we can do. You know, I focus on mobility um, because I believe mobility is the best, but I am also biased in that sense. Um, but there's Alexander Technique. Uh, there's Feldenkrais, there is yoga, uh, Pilates, all of these develop body awareness in some sense. So if you've never, if you, um, if you're one of those students or one of those performers that go to other teachers and the teacher's like, hey, uh, your shoulders are rising when you take a breath or your shoulders are raising when you go into the high register. Um, you know, if you don't recognize that yourself, you know, that's something you could have fixed in your own practice. You could have fixed that months ago without going to the teacher. You could have saved your money. You could have gotten different perspective from that teacher just by having a deeper sense of body awareness. So it's, you know, like I said, I wouldn't recommend one thing um, for every, well, actually I would. What I'm saying is I wouldn't recommend one habit to take away because everybody's different and they all have different situations. But I would recommend retouching on these four pillars, daily foundational health and wellness habits, developing body awareness, strengthening the body into alignment, and mindfulness and mindset to pick one of those pillars that you know you struggle with the most. Because we all know our weaknesses. We all know ourselves. And if we can be honest and truly, uh, <laughs> if we can be honest and truly honest with ourselves, <laughs> we, can, um, <laughs> we can identify the pillar that we need the most help in. And it's when we can make that honest and truthful decision that I need help in this, I need to work on this. That's when you truly start to tackle your fears and tackle those roadblocks that are actually holding you back from getting you to where you want to be, okay? So what's that 80-20 rule? You 80% of your effort is focused on 20% of the problems. So you're focusing on the solution that, sorry, I messed that up. The 80-20 rule, 80% of your, of your focus is dedicated to that 20% problem that's going to make you um, improve the most. So for me, the biggest thing that I struggle with is mindset. I have to work on that every single day. And if I don't, all of the other pillars, it doesn't matter how lined up these are, eventually what's going to hold me back the most is that mindset. Mm. Same thing with body awareness. You know, if you have daily foundational health and wellness habits and you have, your, you have a solid mindset, but you lack the body awareness, that tension and pain is going to creep up in one way or another and develop into an injury over time. But if you have that body awareness and your shoulders are still constantly in a rounded position 24-7, you've trained your body to recognize faulty movement patterns. And in one way or another, that's going to show up in your daily life and cause and wreak havoc down the road. So um, I would encourage everybody to just pick one of those pillars and start focusing and learn five to 10 minutes a day about it. Because those five minutes, 10 minutes a day over the course of a month, that's five hours of studying. Over the course of a year, you know, that's 70 hours of studying. That's days and days and days of implementing and developing a habit that you didn't have that's only going to benefit you and your career. So, yeah. One thing I want to point out before we get super deep, because it's like you're so learned, right? Because you've spent so much time and effort studying it. I mean, not only because you care about it, but it's also your business. You know, that's like what you do. But I want to make a very important, what I think is an important point to say, 
if there's people listening out there and they feel kind of overwhelmed and it's like, oh man, I wish I would have done this before. Sometimes that can lead toward feeling like I don't want to try because I'm so far behind already. Or like, you know, like there's so much to learn. It's overwhelming. And I think this is super important just to like start with what you can do now. It's like if you if you can wake up 30 minutes earlier or if you can find 30 minutes in your day that's normally for Netflix and you think about one of these four pillars, just starting with what your life already looks like and trying to feel like how to implement it before we go about just changing our life all the way completely and saying, oh, I'm going to change my diet and I'm going to start powerlifting and I'm going to look like a different person. It's like, let's just start with what we can do, what we're capable of doing so it doesn't feel like an incredibly overwhelming thing to take on health and wellness, you know? <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's so many different angles you can approach this and there's so much we can learn. So I think you said that beautifully. You know, we don't want to overwhelm our mind. We don't want, we don't want to be overwhelmed and um, just jump right in the pool, the deep end without learning how to, you know, swim in the shallow end a little bit. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, in terms of your business, um, what does it look like to, if someone's interested, they're like, man, this guy's got it. I want to work with them. Do you do consultations? Is it like, what is it like to become a client? Like, how do people get in contact with you? Those kinds of things. Sure. That is a fantastic question. So my main platform is Instagram. Um, so people usually send me messages over Instagram, or you can contact me at thefunctionalmusician at gmail.com. I respond to emails pretty well. I give a 24-hour grace period just so people are aware. But basically what happens is I go through a consultation process. Um, I'm very grateful to have a very great business mentor who is mentoring me throughout the growth of my business. And one of the things that I like to do is I like to just get on a short consultation call with um, potential clients to see what's going on in their life, what's working and what's not working and where they want to be to see if I can really help them. Because a lot of the times, um, you know, I'm not, number one, I've had people come to me with focal dystonia issues and that just saves time on both of our ends to be upfront and honest that I'm not qualified to handle those types of situations. And of course I point them, I have a list of resources and people that um, are fantastic in that field and I point them to those in, the, in those directions. So basically what happens is we have screening process where we make sure the client is good fit for the program and that more importantly, the program can help the client. So at The Functional Musician, um, I don't like to think of ourselves as like a service, but more of a solution provider. And it's really important that um, number one, the client is good fit, but we're a good fit for the client. Because if those two things line up, um, 99% of the time, the client is going to leave that program with their problem fixed. And that's exactly what we do is we fix these problems and we help set up the foundation that's going to support their life and their performance career. And if someone's not you know, willing to learn, number one, if they're not willing to change, if they're not willing to get outside their comfort zone and accept feedback, then that makes my job as a coach exponentially harder, but it also makes their lives exponentially harder. So I will coach them through that process um, to see, just to test a little bit, you know, see what that's like working with them. And, you know, if I get a lot of resistance, if I get a lot of mental and um, roadblocks, you know, I'm going to be upfront and honest with them and try to point them in a direction where I feel like someone else can is more qualified to handle that kind of situation. So uh, we don't, unfortunately, we don't help everybody. But like my business mentor says, um, if you try to help everybody, you help no one. Sure. So 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking for those people who are ready to make a change, are ready to get outside their comfort zone, and also willing to learn something new. So I go through that little short call, and then um, if they're a really good fit for the client, or the client is a good fit for the program, and I know we can help them get over their problem, what I do is we set up another call that can go for anywhere from like 45 minutes to you know, I've had one call go two hours where we just really dig into those problems, really see what's going on. And, you know, we look at where they want to be and we look at how that journey is laid out and we talk a little bit about the program and then we get them rolling. We get them going. And, um, you know, like I said, like going back to habits, like it's really important not to throw everything in right away, which is why it's a 12 week program. And which is why we kind of build up into that. So we're developing these great habits that, once you develop and they're set in your life, guess what? They are set and you're more likely to keep those habits consistent. And that's what that long-term growth really looks like. So uh, that was a little long answer and a kind of complicated process, but basically we set up a consultation call and then we set up another call if you're a good fit to go into the details and really dig into that problem to see what's really going on. Yeah. Because so, you may feel, yeah. Yeah, I was so Sorry. it sounds like, can find you on Instagram at the Function Musician, and then the thefunctionmusician.com. Is that correct? Yep, that is correct. And you know, if you're Facebook friends with me, um, you know I also have a Functional Musician Facebook page, but I'm more focused on the Instagram and looking at my emails. So feel free to reach out to me either way, whatever's convenient for you. So Functional Musician on Instagram, Functional Musician at Gmail, functionalmusician.com. Um, this is awesome. I, I was just going to open up the floor um, for any just final thoughts, things that you feel like you want people to know about, from whether it's from your experience with yourself or your clients or just like beliefs that you hold dearly to yourself that you think can really uh, make a positive impact. I'll just open the floor, see if there's anything that kind of comes to mind. Yeah, well, man, what to talk about. That's, you know, that's a lot of liberty. Um, so, yeah, I guess for me, I just want to, let, want to let everybody know that, you know, when you are injured, it's very scary. Um, you know, we have a lot of rehabilitative options for musicians, right? But we don't have a lot of preventative options. And if there would have been something there, if I would have known what I know now, um, not, I could have prevented three years of physical and mental, of physically mental and, wait, a mental and physically demanding uh, cycle, very destructive cycle. And, you know, and when you're in grad school or when you're undergrad or when you're in your, you know, your prof professional development, when you're in an orchestra, it's really, uh, you're investing a lot of time, you're investing a lot of money. And, you know, honestly, when you're injured, you spend a lot of money. And just throwing it out there, I spent $15,000 trying to get over my injury, going to various doctors, chiropractors, massage therapists, MRI scans, et cetera, et cetera. And luckily, I was in a position where, um, my insurance covered quite a bit of it, but I still paid a lot of out of pocket. So that's $12,000. That's a new trombone, a new time trombone, one of the best trombones you can get out there on the market. Um, I could have prevented that. I could have that money right now in my hands if I would have been on top of my preventive health. And along those lines, you know, when you're injured, um, it can be very dark. It can be very scary, like I said, but it, you don't have to go at it alone. There are resources now that are available that can help you get over this process. And we just got to be willing to go over that because, you know, as humans, we're hardwired to reject change. You know, as someone who reads a lot of self 
uh, not self-help books, but self-development books and uh, developing skills, Ryan, I'm sure you can relate and you can connect a lot of these dots. But, you know, if you're not willing to try new things and be open to that change and recognize what's really going on and what's really debilitating your process, it's going to make your journey longer. It's going to make your journey harder. And it's going to present a lot of roadblocks along the way that you necessarily don't want to have to deal with. And, uh, you know, the musician lifestyle, pursuing a um, performance career in any setting is very, very competitive. It's very, very hard. And the longer you go in an injury cycle, depending on where you're at in your career, the higher chance of you putting away your instrument and going to... um, going towards another path, another career path, just to make money. Because, you know, you know we're, we're not in the business to make money. We're in the business to connect people, move people, and, and engage with music and an audience. And, you know, if we were in it for the money, this would be a whole different situation. But, you know, uh, this, is, this is something, that, I mean, that stems down to, you know, colleges and universities and conservatories prioritizing mental health and wellness in the educational system, in their curriculum, and in their degrees. And we could talk about that probably for literally two hours, so I won't go too much into that. But, you know, we have this foundation, we have this, um, these pillars in society that have been set up for a very, very long time. And I think my generation, um, along with um, your generation, Ryan, are doing a very good job of challenging these pillars and going for change. And I think, again, we have a long ways to go. But I think it's really important that we start accepting, or not start accepting, but we start opening our eyes, opening our minds to the to sustainable growth and sustainable performance. Because you look down the road, and you know we all have heard those stories of professional musicians where whose careers have ended because of this exact thing. Whether it happens from focal dystonia, or whether it happens from a physical or mental perspective, you know what it comes down to is health. And if we have that foundation set up in place, we can take a lot of those factors out of the way, increase our chances of, uh, you know, our um, amount of performance that we're going to be able to perform for the rest of our life. And we're also going to be able to live more meaningful and impactful lives. And I think that's what it really comes down to is just being your best human being and being as, <laughs> and being as functional and sustainable as possible. The only thing that was incredible. I appreciate that perspective. The only thing I'm going to add to that is let's also assume that it applies to us and we're not, we are the, we're not the exception, right? Of course. I think we see these people who have had careers that maybe have ended for the reasons that you've described and we go, well, that just won't be me. Like, I won't have to worry about that. Like, that's not, that's so far out there, so far away. Like, let's assume to an extent at, at best, it could be us. And what would we do if it was us? And maybe there's some of those things that we can start doing now to possibly make sure that to the best of our ability, that won't be us. Thank you for adding that. Yes, great clarity. Yeah, man. Well, this has been awesome. I'm so glad to have had this opportunity to chat with you about some really, I think, really, really important stuff. And I hope my audience uh, was able to get something out of it and hopefully get some good tips. Thanks Thanks for doing this, man. Of course. Thanks for having me on. It was great to finally meet you, put a name to a face. And thank you again for having me on the podcast. That was a great conversation. And, you know, if anybody wants to contact me, you know, Ryan has my contact information and we'll share that with you guys. And I really hope you took something positive out of this experience. I know I did. And um, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Um, 
If anybody needs to get in touch with me at this stage, probably everybody knows how to do that, but I have to say it because I don't know how to end an episode without doing this. Um, if you need to get in touch with me, you can go to at That's Not Spit on Facebook and Instagram. Also, That's Not Spit.com. If you enjoyed this episode, learned something, hated it, whatever, leave a review and a rating on iTunes. That would be really awesome. I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget to share this on social media so other people can find out who may not know about the podcast and find get access to this information that might help them as well. I wanted to thank my mastering engineer, Brandon Yoakum, uh, for his work on mastering this episode. And most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening. Uh, stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>